very nice yeah. to finally meet you. Same here, man. Turkey, welcome to my home. Thank you. Um, before we jump in, I want to ask you a very serious question. <laughs> What do you think of my daughter's art? Uh, man, <laughs> first of all, I love this face and, and the art, obviously, you know, this is, this is something you would keep uh, forever, you know, forever <laughs> obviously. Uh, turn it into an NFT or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, thank you very much uh, for having the courage to come to my home and do a podcast at my daughter's table. Absolutely. Um, I think it sets the tone for the type of conversation we're going to have. And, um, you know, I, I, we obviously don't know each other personally. We met recently um, and um, I had to do a bit of research on you and um, on, on your company. So for, for starters, you were the co-founder and CCO of Tamara, one of the fastest growing startups uh, in the region based in Riyadh. Um, I'm just going to go through the, you know, the accomplishments. You guys are a year and a half old, not even a year and three months old. Um, you were launched in September of 2020. You had a $6 million seed, which was quite incredible um, in terms of an amount and a speed to get that seed. You later raised a Series A of $110 million, which was the largest Series A in the entire region that we've ever heard of. Um, so far as a performance, you've been growing about 170% month on month. I took this from an article that I read online. You have more than 1,000 merchants and growing. You're operating in Saudi Arabia and the UAE. But I guess the most important question that I would like you, you know, to ask you today is you've done all of that while also, you know, being blessed with a child that was born on the 21st of September and you are now <laughs> a girl dad. Um, so all those accomplishments are amazing, but I think that is the most amazing accomplishment, I think, as a couple, as a family. And how do you do that while accomplishing all these extreme feats at Tamara? Yeah, man, it, it, it has been crazy. Uh, you know, Tamara is a startup. Now, Haya uh, is, is, is now the first startup, actually. Um, uh, you know, I've been blessed with an amazing wife, uh, Nora. She's super supportive from the beginning. Uh, and obviously, Haya, as, as they call them now, she's a pandemic baby. She's, she's different. Yeah, uh, She's growing very fast. Uh, she's keeping us busy. Uh, but man, yeah, Uh, you know, I think doing Tamara actually prepared me to to to, to be a dad because sure. because it's um, you know it's it's juggling things around it's it's very tough. Uh, but I have to say that the current you know structure or, or the current setup of working from home uh, and Tamara being a company that is uh, you know remote first. Amazing, yeah. Uh, so Gives everybody's exactly. So this is helping a lot um, actually, and and. Yeah, so, and and overall, like, I couldn't have done it, you know, without Nora support from the beginning. And now yeah. I'm trying my best to support, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying my best. Yeah. It's funny, I, uh, I have a daughter as well. Uh, she turned three on the day your daughter was born, which is an yeah. incredible um, kind coincidence. Of, uh, yeah. <laughs> coincidence. So she turned three on the 21st of September when your daughter was born. I got to say, the first year um, that Charlotte... Um, was a part of our lives were probably the most difficult. Um, and, and actually River on the other side of this camera um, also has a, a, a young child, uh, I think eight months old. But the first year is, is definitely the most challenging. 
um, challenging in terms of, um, you know, the anxiety and the stress because you don't know what you're doing and everything is new for you and your wife. Even if you have support and you have family and you have friends, you're still responsible for this being and you've never done this before, which is very similar to what building a company is. You've never really built a company in that specific industry, you know, or those specific, you know, markets or clients, etc. But also you do it under almost the worst circumstances. You have hardly any sleep or deep sleep mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. you become so selfless, right? So you don't eat what you should eat. You don't exercise the way you should exercise. You don't rest the way you should. And so you're, you're, you're there raising a child the first year and you have to do your best because you, you feel so responsible that everything you do and everything you don't do will have a huge impact on your daughter. And it's, it's very funny that we pull the comparison between, you know, a startup and a child, but there are huge learnings, right? With Charlotte, my daughter, <clears throat> whatever I did is going to have an impact on her and whatever I don't do is going to have an impact on her as well. Yep. And that's exactly the same parallel that we can pull to a startup. Now, when you're a leader in an organization, you make decisions and sometimes you miss on making decisions or your inability to make a decision. And so today, when we pull the comparisons between the upbringing of a child and the building of an organization, I definitely don't want to pull comparisons. I don't think, uh, you know, building a startup can be done maybe by a man by himself or a woman by themselves. But I don't think raising a child is something that, you know, uh, I can compare that. You know, I think the work of my wife versus my work in my company is two very <laughs> completely different things. Yes. But I, I definitely think that I definitely think there are huge learnings. And I want to know, as a father today, do you think it's changed the way you're going to run your organization, build your teams? Um, etc. Is that something that you think is, has changed you? Is it going to change your perspective of who, who you're going to be as a leader? Um, well, first of all, we have many parents at Tamara. Yeah. So now I have massive respect to all of them. It's very, very tough. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I have a lot of friends who have, you know, newborns, etc. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, being in, in their shoes is very different. Although, you know, Uh, you know, externally how it is, etc. But um, now, obviously, I I lead differently. I take really? different decisions. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not something that uh, that happens every day. Uh, but still, I think it changed me. For sure. I think um, the way I would describe it, kind of to help you, I, th- I think on that point is, <clears throat> to bring my point home is, I'm more patient than I've ever been. I'm more understanding than I've ever been. I'm more empathetic than I've ever been. But I also feel the most responsible that I've ever been. And yeah. so my ability to make decisions has improved tremendously because I feel the pressure of indecision. I have the fear of making the wrong decisions or not making the decisions at all. And so I think that's had a huge impact on my business as well and how I kind of manage my teams. Because knowing that my choices are going to have an impact on my daughter has made me realize that my choices has a new, huge impact on me and my teams and my organizations. And I feel that that has tremendously improved me. I think I'm way more efficient today than I was back then. I feel that responsibility. I feel that that learning of what it is to be responsible for another being has helped me understand how important my decisions are with everyone around me. And so I've become way more efficient with my time. What I do today in a 10-hour, 12-hour day, I did not do... Um, 
you know, uh, four or five years ago. I used to think I was so productive back then. But yes, I mean, I was productive on work. But what yeah. I do today in, in, in a full day is incredible. Um, and so I, I, I think that's what I meant. I think, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're what, you're a month and a and, and few weeks in. Yep. Which Shmaul. is still very early. <laughs> still super early. <laughs> But uh, yeah, she's growing very fast. Amazing. And, and Amazing. by the way, she's my neighbor. Like my home office has a connecting door to her room. Oh, so every few minutes I can go, uh, you know, check in on her. Uh, yeah, I can hear her crying as well. Uh, this is something also, you know, you, yeah. you merge your personal life with your work life. And this is the future, I think. Absolutely. And, 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 and you made a point, like she's a pandemic baby. And my daughter um, basically was one, one and a half when the pandemic started. And it's actually incredible. Like on one side, I think the pandemic was terrible. COVID is a terrible thing that I wish we could have avoided. But in truth, if the pandemic had not happened, I would not have had the relationship that I have today with my daughter, right? The fact that we stayed home for two years uh, has meant that I see my daughter. I see her every morning. I see her every evening. And so that would have never happened. I mean, the hours that you work in a startup, as you know, are not regular hours. Your availability is not, you know, your yeah. accessibility. Unfortunately, yeah. It's Unfortunately, not a good thing. But, but, yeah. but that's the reality of, of, of our business. And I wish we could change it. And, and maybe that's, a, you know, something we should all work on. But if it wasn't for the pandemic, I wouldn't have been here. Yeah. Right? We wouldn't have been here at my house in the podcast. <laughs> <On> the <state>. <laughs> so I think uh, there's a silver lining, especially for being a father or a parent during COVID. Um, cool. I, I, I want to get more into kind of your business, your industry. Um, The buy now, pay later business has mushroomed out of nowhere, um, I think, in the region um, in the last kind of year to two years. Um, you know, I, I think we saw the success of that industry, I think, in parts of Europe, like brands like Klarna, et cetera. And, and quickly we realized that I think it, it's, a, it's a great solution to a problem that we have in the Middle East, right? So we have a, a COD problem. We have um, a, a kind of uh, financial services issues in the region for kind of Um, the younger or, or I would say less banked populations. But from your perspective, you know, why is buy now, pay later such an important financial service for our region? What does it do for our, for our youngsters, for our industries and for our merchants? Why is it so important in your opinion? So, so buy now, pay later, uh, you know, offers, uh, first of all, flexibility uh, on payment, budgeting as well. You have to know that in the region, Most of the people are actually living paycheck to paycheck. So having a flexible service adds a lot of value. Um, and also, like if we take Saudi, for example, the credit card administration in Saudi is among the lowest globally. It's around 9%. Really? So 9% of people have... 9%? Uh, yes, per capita. So it's, it's, um, it's very, very low. So people don't have access to a credit card that gives them this flexibility. Um, and, and the, you know, buy now, pay later provides this. Now, if we dive into that a little bit, why do you think, you know, on a personal level, why do you think that credit card penetration has been so low in Saudi Arabia? Is it, is it, is it cultural? Is it just, uh, you know, the, the, the financial kind of players in that market haven't really developed enough solutions? What, what, what's your perspective on that? So it's, uh, it's a bit of both. Uh, so accessibility, you know, to qualify for a credit card, even the, in the UAE, by the way, yeah. it's very tough. So yeah. you have to, uh, you know, check many boxes to receive yeah. a credit card. This is one. Second, there is a cultural aspect. And also globally, uh, you know, the new generation, uh, they don't prefer to use uh, products that are not very transparent. 
um, you know, buy now, pay later doesn't incur interest yeah. uh, on the customer. And it's very transparent product. It's, ve- it's very clear how we make money, mm-hmm. which is we, we make money from uh, merchants. Merchant. And if you think about it, there is a huge aspect of, of buy now, pay later that is not only about budgeting. It's about the experience. So the shopping experience itself, uh, buy now, pay later elevates it uh, for the for the customers. It's funny. Every time you say the word credit card, I, um, I kind of remember my college years of coming out of college. I think credit cards almost ruined me. <laughs> yeah. I was... Um, Obviously, just starting my career um, in credit cards was like, especially in North America. I was in Montreal at the time. Credit cards is a way of life. Everyone has a credit card. You put everything on your credit card. Uh, and you and you're, you grow up to believe in the notion of creating your credit. And so you should, you should spend you know, all of your spend on a credit card just to build your credit history and build your credit score. But, you know, a young kid, I had just moved from Saudi. <laughs> I went to Canada. Um, I was given credit cards. I had never been in that kind of environment. Credit cards almost ruined me. I was in so much debt. It took me forever and it took me crazy credit card interest rates, you know, which is just compounding. Compounding, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very difficult cycle. And, um, you know, when the buy now, pay later business comes through and you think about, like you said, an interest-free solution that also builds kind of like a credit score over time, I think, for for people in the region, I think it's a fantastic solution. Are you... Are you finding it easy for kind of, um, I would say, consumers and the population to understand the offering, to understand the value of it? Are you finding it easy to acquire kind of interest and and, and, and users, or are you still finding it, uh, you know, as a foreign concept for people? Um, you know, given our, uh, you know, exponential growth, the adoption has been very very high. Actually, um, we haven't seen any challenges in communication and marketing. Fantastic. Um, it's a very simple solution yeah. and the way it works. Um, so the value is very, very clear to the customer. Yeah. Um, and now the challenge on us is actually how to listen to the customer because there are so many issues uh, still in e-commerce, of course. Uh, you know, in delivery and, 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 and the shopping experience yeah, itself yeah. before the purchase and after. Yeah. So we have so many challenges still. And, you know, what we have to do is to continue listening to the customer. And don't forget, we have two customers. We are a B2B2C. So we have the merchants and we have also the uh, the customers. So we're listening to both to shape our product roadmap and our, uh, you know, future. Of course. And what problem do you think you guys were actually solving? Like providing this financial solution and this service now to the region, what problems were we actually kind of solving at the time? Did, did you guys feel that not having these types of solutions, I mean, I think there's, there's an obvious problem that we're solving on the merchant side, on COD, on, on stuff like that, on high friction, I think on the checkout, et cetera. But what problem do you think we're really solving on the consumer side um, in the region? So there are multiple uh, you know, problems. Number one is trust. Uh, you know, one of the issues with e-commerce before the pandemic, obviously, sure. was, uh, was about trust. So would I buy from this brand? What happens if I don't receive my product? What happens if, um, you know, the, 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 uh, I receive something different? Who would be the layer that protects me against these issues? Oh, wow. So this is why people wouldn't uh, opt to use their cards and they would use cash and delivery because they would like to see the product. So it's a trust uh, problem. This is number one. Yeah. And then comes the other issues of budgeting, 
you know, of spreading the payment uh, sure. on longer period of time. Yeah. Exactly, which is which is also a large issue. But but trust is actually uh, underrated. Uh, and buy now, pay later, I believe. And there is a lot to do uh, on that area. COD is still very high. Uh, yeah. Now it's, you know, even after the pandemic, now it's it's still high yeah. uh, in the region. So we have a lot to do at Tamara. Amazing. Um, so I want to talk to you about your organization, your teams. So um, you're obviously based here in, in, in Dubai. Your, your headquarters is in Riyadh. Um, you have, I think I read around 100 plus employees so far. I don't, I, I don't want to be misquoted, but... Um, how do you guys manage kind of the the kind of remote working lifestyle that you guys have set up as a company? I think you're a remote first organization. How are you managing that? And how do you kind of see <clears throat> the future of your organization as you start to scale in different markets, et cetera? Sure. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll just go back uh, in time. So I started in consulting in 2012. Yep. And in consulting, you have to, you know, travel a lot. So what I did back then, I kept a place in Riyadh, place in Dubai, and I would spend maybe six months here, six months there. And uh, believe it or not, I've maintained the same until today. So I spend a few months a year in Riyadh, uh, the remaining here. So I split my time. um, And it worked out, uh, you know, with with Tamara operating in both countries. Uh, I, I was just in Saudi actually last week. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of a nomad. I have, I, I split my time. I travel a lot, so that's uh, that's something that it's in the culture of Tamara, um, and and it helped a lot. How do we manage remote uh, culture? We were forced to uh, during the pandemic, <laughs> like all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so we we have an office uh, in Riyadh, uh, in in Dubai, in Berlin. Uh, and in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Really? Uh, Ho Chi Minh? Yes. Wow. One of my favorite cities in the world. So, yeah. so yeah. So, we hire, we opened these offices during the pandemic. Okay. Uh, and the Ho Chi Minh City is, is what, what? It's a tech hub. It's a tech hub. It's a tech hub. Very interesting. You can think about it as an R&D tech wow, hub. amazing. Same as Berlin also. We have some of our uh, team there, product and engineering as well. Fantastic. And you're, you're ex-Kareem, so you're familiar Absolutely, with, with yeah, that with model. Setup. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. And in terms of the future of your organization, right? So um, I read, you know, that today you guys are operating, um, you know, obviously in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. You see the GCC as definitely in a short-term, mid-term focus, but that you guys are really eyeing, you know, in, in the future vision of the business to really expand past just being a Middle Eastern business. Um, and, you know, I've always, you know, I, I've been back in the Middle East now. I spent most of my time growing up in, in, in Saudi, and now I'm back in the UAE. And one thing that I, I keep telling founders and, and, and leaders in, in, in kind of our region is we have a responsibility to build brands that are global brands, and we have a responsibility to build brands that are inspiring brands. I mean, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, and I don't want to speak to for anyone that lived in Saudi Arabia, but growing up in Saudi Arabia, if you had any ambition, if you wanted to build startups, if you wanted to change the world, you looked at brands outside you looked at Google, Facebook, uh, Tesla, you know, or, you know, even FMCG brands like Nestle or Mercedes Benz or whatever, you were inspired by these global brands, but none of them were Middle Eastern. We didn't build brands that were inspiring. That's not what the Middle East did. Today, things are changing a little bit, right? We had some examples like Karim, even Noon, etc. We're starting to build these larger than life Sook, brands, yeah. Sook, etc. We're starting to build these larger than life brands. 
Is that an ambition that Tamara has today? Um, so, so, so today we are a team of 22 nationalities, I believe. Wow. Um, coming from, you know, all the leading uh, fintech, uh, e-commerce and tech startups globally. We do have the capabilities to build a global business. And as you said, GCC is a nat- natural uh, expansion. Of course. Um, but at a certain point, you need to grow beyond. And I believe this is w- something that we did right. We have the local know-how, uh, but we have also uh, a global team and a global ambition as well. So I believe Tamara would would be um, you know, uh, one of the first Middle Eastern businesses that offers you know, services to consumers not in the MENA region. Fantastic. And I think, I think also as a business, as an industry, it's, a, it's generally a less friction kind of product to be able to introduce to new markets. It's easier to penetrate new markets, so it's absolutely suited. Fantastic. Um, in terms of, <clears throat> you know, um, when you think of uh, how you guys position yourselves today versus the competition, I think you guys have seen, you know, two or three brands, um, you know, um, there are some brands here in the UAE that, that I know personally as well that are doing fantastic and both raising and, and, and scaling, etc. How do you guys position yourself against competition um, in terms of the proposition, in terms of your c- competitive advantage, etc.? How do you guys think about that today? Or do you not even pay attention? As, uh, of course, you have to pay attention uh, in a good way. Yeah. So competition, I believe it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um for Tamara, for the customer, and for the merchant as well. Um, so we we actually embrace uh, competition, and it, it pushes us to be innovative and creative, uh, and to be in the lead always. If you think about Tamara, we're actually uh, the youngest in terms of uh, tenor, in terms of, if sure. you compare to other players in the region. So when we came in, there were players already, Absolutely. but we believe that incumbents, you know, have uh, an advantage for a period of time, and we proved this. Uh, by you know growing very fast and and you know you could argue that Tamara is actually the leader now uh, in terms of uh, you know um, being the fastest growing and uh, having you know the 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 largest let's say uh, base uh, in the region. So um, it's not a one winner takes all. Yeah. Specifically in buy now pay later, if you look at Europe, if you look at the US you would actually, uh, you know, realize that they're all growing double and triple digits annually. Uh, but we're putting our head down and focusing on what the customer uh, and the merchant needs. And so far, we've been successful to to offer, you know, uh, this to our customers and to be a reliable partner, which is very, very important in a B2B business. At the, at the moment, your business model is based on not charging anything to the consumer and, and charging the merchant for the kind of service of unlocking this customer, right? So because of the service that you provide, you've been able to help the sales funnel of that specific merchant. I can't help but pull the comparison between what you guys do and what a credit card does. And I always say, okay, well, obviously a buy now, pay later solution makes total more sense. I mean, the no interest, et cetera, et cetera. At what point do you think the buy now, pay later offering will be an offering that is just a payment method that you can use anywhere? And the second part of that question is the only way that service becomes a possibility is if you actually charge the customer something and no longer have to have a direct relationship with the merchant. Um, 
is that something that we can you know foresee or hope for in the future um and 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 i'm curious to know what your position is on that so if you, if you think about it we are kind of in that phase um so now merchants they can't afford not to have a binopulator yeah. uh, on board <clears throat> uh, some of the merchants you know they have multiple uh, so they see it as a new channel to acquire customers so we are in that phase now and tamara and binopulator in general uh, now it's it's taking a big share of volume yeah. uh, that you can you could compare it sometimes to, to a credit debit card, card or credit card yeah. and the major difference is uh, you know at tamara we accept as long as you're 18 and older uh, we accept any customer uh, regardless of which bank uh, you know they 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 deal with mm-hmm. whereas if, if you're a credit card customer you are limited to that specific bank Absolutely. and this is you know the, why buy now pay later has been you know successful. very 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 successful and growing very fast uh, in the region and globally but but do you see do you see the buy now pay later industry or even just tamara becoming a payment method that is not necessarily based on a relationship with a merchant so i can go anywhere and just pay with yeah that that is that is that is that kind of the ambition th- th- that's the case uh, if you look at you know other players globally yeah uh, some of them offer similar solutions Already, yeah um, but you know at the end of the day also you have to maintain uh, you know healthy margins uh, so yeah i think we, there will be there will be an similar, evolution to that point a similar you know solution offered in the market yeah okay um turkey it's been great to have you i really appreciate your time you're my neighbor so i have to see you more often <laughs> for sure um and and i wish you nothing but the best of luck thank you so much for being on our podcast and i hope we stay in touch appreciate it thank you for having me. thank you